The following Downstage Center program was originally broadcast in February 2007. Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John Von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. Today we're joined by a very well-known actor and director as well, Len Carew. Len, you have terrific credits and on Broadway. You're certainly known for three standout musicals, creating the role of Sweeney Todd in mm-hmm. Sweeney Todd for Little Night Music and, of course, for Applause. You've had a tremendous amount of what is called serious theater work and uh, some of the, the well-known uh, you know, roles of all time, a lot of Shakespeare, a lot of classics, also a lot of television work off-Broadway as well. And we'll get to all of that. As we, as we talk. Let's talk first about something that's coming up very soon in Los Angeles. It's the Stage Benefit, which is an acronym for Southland Theater Artists Goodwill Event. It's the 23rd annual uh, staging of the stage event, the longest uh, continuously running age benefit in the world. And this year it's called, and I'm getting this correct, I'm reading this now to be <laughs> sure I get it absolutely correct, By Side, By Side, By Side, By Side, by Stephen Sondheim. A salute to Stephen Sondheim on March 10th and 11th. Yes, so, it is. It's. Uh, I I did this uh, last year uh, for the first time. Um, I had done some uh, some things at uh, Hollywood Bowl, and um, so uh, David Galligan, who is uh, who produces this uh, this evening, I think is probably one of the founding members of it too. He could have been. He's. I think he's been there since day one. At any rate, he um, he invited me last year to go and and. Uh, I did uh, something from on the twentieth century, and um, it was kind of fun. And he's he's uh, a really staunch supporter of the arts, uh, especially the theater, uh, the musical theater arts uh, in L.A. And as, as I said, I think he's a founding member of this of this organization. And so he invited me to come again because obviously I've done a couple of shows that uh, that Sondheim has done, and. Um, uh, he wanted me to be a part of it, so we haven't exactly decided what I'm going to do yet. yet but um, I'm looking forward to do it. I'm sounding a little weird, I know, because I'm getting over a cold here. So I'm glad it's not this mm-hmm. weekend in L.A. Well, obviously something from either Sweeney or Little Night Music. Yeah, I would think, think so. I, uh, but I would, you know, he said any any show at all. I, I said, well, uh, what about uh, anyone can whistle. Um, I said, you know, I know. Uh, uh, I think Lee Remick sang it in the in the show itself. I said, but it's a great song. It's one of the great ballads that uh, Stephen ever wrote, in my opinion. And it's a oh, <laughs> it's a great um, uh, great lyric. And um, so I know I, we may do that too. I don't know. Uh, I was thinking of maybe doing a little priest. Uh, normally, I would do that with Angela. Uh, we've done it on a couple of occasions. We did it at the Hollywood Bowl when they saluted Stephen last summer. Uh, but she's here, obviously, uh, in rehearsal for Juice um, with uh, Marion Seldes in New York. So she can't be out there and here, too. So Let's go back to the beginnings in Manitoba, Canada. You were born in Canada. Yep. Grew up there. But you didn't originally plan to be an actor. There was a lot of music in your house. You were thinking about becoming a singer. Is, is, is that right? Well, yeah. My... My family on the Irish side of the family, my mother's name was a Moore, so uh, all of the Irish side of the family were uh, pretty musical. My my mother sang, her two sisters sang. I think actually my mother secretly wanted to be a performer, but uh, it just wasn't in the cards, I guess. Um, and 
I had a lot of her brothers and and sibs all play. I had an uncle who was uh, who could play uh, several instruments and uh, both saxophone and clarinet, and he played the banjo and the guitar, and he was a wonderful artist. Besides, um, uh, so that kind of that's where I was coming from. I I had music in my in my uh, household all my life. There was a piano uh, in our house, and uh, I I grew up tinkling around on that and you know when I was uh, I was going to uh, a parochial Catholic school and uh, I used to take piano lessons with uh, with the nuns and and I studied uh, voice as a boy soprano and like that so it's, music was always around me I, I when I was growing up uh, in high school I was in quartets and quintets and trios and then finally I smartened up and went on my own <laughs> And uh, enjoyed that more. I just enjoyed that more. So when I got to be, you know, in my in my late teens and early twenties, I was uh, I had a nightclub act, um, which I enjoyed doing very much. And um, what kind of material were you doing in that act? Oh, you know, all the stuff uh, that's it's back. My opening number was um, "Put on a Happy Face." It was one of them, anyway. You know, so I did a lot of you know the current stuff that was going on. So how do you get from Growing up singing quartets, quintets, uh, your own your own cabaret act, to doing major classical work in Canada with some of the greatest directors. Yeah, w- where did that transition come? Well, it was unbeknownst to me. Uh, my mentor in the theater was a man by the name of John Hirsch, who founded the Manitoba Theater Center, and uh, and really set up the prototype for all regional theaters. He really was uh, the architect of all the regional theater companies across North America, and, and by that I mean he set up well, how a season should be. He put in a comedy, a musical, a drama, and you know, as 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 the uh, as the region embraced that, they he just it was pretty simple stuff. Then it got a little more complicated, and the and the uh, the authors became a little more uh, classic rather than than uh, than Broadway stuff. Um, and I had, uh, I had wanted to, uh, to be. I was in the. He had me in the musical theater, um, at a at an outdoor theater called the Rainbow Stage, which is still there in Winnipeg. Only it has a geodesic dome on it now, but mm-hmm. in those days it didn't have anything. And so you know it was one of those kind of. In the summertime, it was potluck. You know, if the, if it got cloudy, nobody came, because they thought, no, we're not going to get rained on. And but if it was nice, you know, and and in the summertime, usually. In Winnipeg, at those, in those days, it was pretty. You could pretty much count on on the weather because it was, it was so the the, the temperatures. I, nobody ever believes me when I tell them this, but from the winter to the sum, to the summer, the height of summer, there was like a hundred and sixty degree difference mm-hmm. in the temperature. Wow. It would get up to be a hundred, hundred and ten uh, in the summertime. You know, in August and July and August, and forty to fifty below in the wintertime. So it was. Uh, it was kind of an, an amazing place to grow up in, but it, I'm getting off the, the subject, I guess. But um, John actually had me uh, in the um, at Rainbow that summer, and uh, decided that uh, he wanted me to go uh, to come and audition for the first play that he was going to do, uh, which was not yet the Manitoba Theater Center. It was called Theater Seventy Seven. 
but he wanted to to form a professional company. That Theater 77 was the amateur company. There was no professional theater in the city. Um, and he wanted to change that. So um, he invited me to come and be a part of the first season of the Manitoba Theater Center. And the first play they were going to do was Mr. Roberts. He said, I would like you to uh, to think about playing Ensign Pulver. And I said... Uh, Okay, I didn't know from Mr. Roberts. I'd never seen a play at that point in my life. And um, so I said to a friend of mine, uh, John has asked me to come in and and, uh, and read for Ensign Pulver. I said, but, you know, I said, how good could it be? I mean, I, I was a, a sea cadet at school. I knew what an ensign was. <laughs> you know, I said, you know, how good could the role be? And he looked at me and he said, schmuck. Jack Lemon won an Academy Award for playing Ensign Pulver. And I went, oh. So I uh, I kind of went, that kind of woke me up. And I went to uh, the library and um, and got a copy of uh, Ensign, of Mr. Robertson, read it and thought, aha, aha, they may have created a monster here. And indeed they did because, uh, you know, the role is an incredible role. And uh, John cast me in it. Um, and... Naturally, you know he's he's going to get he's going to get a lot of really good press, which I did, and John was terribly afraid that I would let it go to my head, um, and I promised him that I wouldn't. Now, how, how old were you at the time? I was uh, twenty, I think. So yeah. You were a very young ensign. Twenty-one, yeah, something yeah. like that. So yeah. what about training then? Because, again, even playing Ensign Pulver, how do you get to these classical roles? Well, that's where that's where it kind of leads. After that season, um, John invited uh, a lot of the, of the mainstay of the uh, Stratford, Ontario Festival to come to Winnipeg. And uh, because he was forming this professional company, he invited Douglas Rain and uh, Kate Reed. And uh, William Hutt and Francis Highland and uh, uh, I'm going to forget a bunch of people, um, but um, so they, I I then went on and, and was in um, a couple of other plays uh, that season. I know, but I'm trying to remember if we did that season. If it was, uh, it might have been that season that we also did. Zoe Caldwell came and yeah, and Douglas Rain did um, Playboy of the Western World, and I played a small part in that. And they were both going to uh, to Stratford. John, unbeknownst to me, had, had said to them, "Look, I think this kid's got talent, and and I think he should go to Stratford. That's the only place he can go, you know, to to." to uh, broaden his horizons a little and um so that's what he did he he threw uh, Dougie Rain and 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 Zoe Caldwell and he I think wrote a letter to Michael Langham who was the artistic director at Stratford Ontario then and said I think you should hire this young man and, you know as as cast whatever it is but he needs to be to get that exposure and I one of all of a sudden one day I got a telegram out of the blue totally out of the blue and I was so naive in those days, it never even occurred to me that John had engineered it. I never, never thought of it until, of course, I was in the room with him. And I said, look what I got. And he went, <laughs> and smiled at me. And I went, oh, Christ. <laughs> Don't tell me. Why didn't I think of it? But um, I was invited to come. And so I went. And in, and they still exist now uh, in those companies. Uh, there was a training program. There were resident voice teachers, movement teachers, uh, when you went into that uh, into that 
situation. You were really given that that whole um, kind of a mini training ground, if you will. Plus, you you know you you were in all the plays and you were understudying. So about you had about five minutes to yourself the whole, the whole day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was um, it was an amazing um, and really uh, eye opener to me. And I thought going in that. I'm Shakespeare. I didn't really know from Shakespeare, uh, you know, except for what I'd studied in school. And I thought, I don't know how uh, anybody translates this to a modern audience until I got there, of course, and saw how well these guys could actually do it. And um, I became absolutely obsessed with wanting to do that. So at the end of that first season, I went back to Winnipeg. John invited me back to uh, to do, I can't remember what exactly, but... Um, I said that, you know, that's what I I would really like to do. I would really like to now concentrate on the classical repertoire. And uh, he said to me, it was really interesting, he said, well, he said, I think that's a a noble um, undertaking. He said, but you must promise me something. And I said, what? And he said, promise me that you won't ever leave the musical theater entirely. He said, you have a gift that not many actors have. Uh, you sing fairly well, and he said you um, you have a gift in musicals that uh, that is not uh, that doesn't happen that often. And you must keep it. Um, you must promise me that you'll keep your hand in, if you will. And I did. Well, within the last minute or two, you mentioned two key words: school and musicals. Mm. You made a conscious decision to turn down a, a scholarship at the very prestigious National Theatre School of Canada in Montreal, ah. and also to go away from musicals. Were those both conscious decisions? Were those uh, decisions that were governed by real-world situations? In other well, words, your, your 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 training became the real-world theatre rather than school at this point, and yeah. you were steering yourself away from musicals at the it, same time. It was well, I wasn't. That came kind of the steering myself. I wasn't. He just said, "Don't, don't abandon right, musicals," right. Uh, and I didn't. Uh, but uh, the when I was, I was a, actually the first student that was um, offered a scholarship at the National Theatre School in Canada. Uh, but it meant um, I would have had to obviously go to Montreal, and I was married at the time, and I had a child, and I would have had three mouths to feed instead of one. You know, I mean, it's one thing if you're uh, twenty-two years old and you, you know, you're on your own. But if you have to have a, a wife and a child, it just was impossible no matter how much money uh, they gave you. That means I would have had to have, you know, a job besides going to the classes, et cetera. And, uh, you know, got to pay the rent. And where I was back in Winnipeg, the rent was being paid. So I, uh, I, I thought, well, I guess I just can't go there. And so John said to me at that point, he said, well, then I'll make sure I'll give you some work. And uh, that's really where I think... Um, he decided to kind of be my mentor, and, and that's how he went to bat for me with uh, with Langham, and uh, uh, so that's kind of how that happened. And the roles, of course, included roles like King Lear, Macbeth, Coriolanus, Brutus, Petruchio, Henry V, mm-hmm. some very heavy classical roles on stage. Well, those happened a little later on. When okay. I went, when I first went there. Um, it wasn't, you know, in the 60s, it, I wasn't getting those kind of roles. But that kind of happened um, in the second, in the second uh-huh. time that I was back there. 
ultimately it was classics that brought you to Broadway. It's amazing that when we start a show talking about shows like Sweeney Todd and Night Music and, and, and Applause, you think, oh, this is someone who came up through this chorus ranks. But, of course, your your Broadway debut was as Orestes, <laughs> yeah, and right. you followed that up in a production of Henry V. Yes. Um, those were both shows that came out of not-for-profit institutions. Yeah, the, the Orestes came from... You were both of them came out of the Guthrie. Uh, the Guthrie and... And, uh, and the old American Shakespeare Theater in Stratford, Stratford was, yeah. that was the Henry V. Right. So you come to New York in these limited-run, very high-class, very classical works. How did you transition back to musicals? Well, the interesting thing about that is the Orestes was done here on that tour that we did when the Guthrie went to came to New York and then went to Los Angeles. Um... And that was my last season at the Guthrie at that in that first in that first go around. While I was doing that, while I was doing, we were at the Billy Rose, which is now the what is it? The forty? What's it called now? The um, not going to remember which one. Where Rent is played? Oh, the, that's now the, the Nederland. Uh, the Nederland. Yeah. Street. Yeah, it was the the Billy Rose Theater, right? And that's where we did it. And I have a feeling that uh, Michael Kahn came to see it. And at any rate, he he then invited he then invited me uh, to come to Stratford, Connecticut, to play uh, Henry V, and uh, to be in um, uh, the Three Sisters, to play Andre in the Three Sisters, uh, which I accepted. And um, the point of the story is that in during that summer, uh, I got a call from my agent who said to, uh, there's a musical being done based on All About Eve called Applause. Mm. It's going to star Lauren Bacall, and um, I think that you should uh, audition for, for this to play the role of Bill Sampson. Um, and I knew the movie, and I said, oh, yeah, okay. Um, so I came in once, and I uh, sang for Ron Fields and read with... Uh, with one of the stage managers. And Ron Fields was the director was choreographer. Was the director choreographer, yeah. yeah. Um, and he said, thank you very much. Nice, very nice. Thank you. Uh, you'll you'll be hearing from us. And I thought, oh, you know, I've, we've all heard that before. Uh, so I went back, and about a month later, they called me again and said, would you come back? Comden and Green and uh, uh, Strauss and Adams are going to be at this audition. And they wrote the book, and the other guys wrote the musical, uh, the music and the lyrics. And I said, okay. So I came back in, and um, I did another audition for them. And they said, very good, thanks very much. And you know, I said, yeah, okay, fine. So I went back, and at the end of the summer, they invited me yet again to come. For th- and I said to my agent, what is going on here? What is the matter with these people? I said, you know, either they, and they said, well, now... And you'd been working in a company system, so it was oh, yeah. just, you, were, you were used to just being cast in things, Exactly correct? right. Exactly right. Now, I knew that was, that was a totally different ballgame, but, um, but what had happened in between the second and the third interview was that we had decided, uh, Stratford, Connecticut had decided to bring Henry V into the antitheater and play it you know, for a limited run at the Antitheater. And the Antitheater was right across the street from the stage door of the of what is now the Neil Simon Theater. Right, the Ant is now the August Wilson. August Wilson and the... And the, the I'm, sorry, I'm trying to remember what the original... Well, it's had a few names. It was the Virginia. Yeah. It, it went from the Ant no, to the No, but across, oh. across the street. Oh, the Neil Simon was the... The Alvin. Oh, the Alvin. The right. Alvin, right. So we were auditioning in the Alvin, right? And so the third time... 
I came. This was at the end of the summer, so the Virginia was across the street. The Anta was across the street, and uh, they'd announced that we were coming. And Ron Fields, God bless him, I think, just trying to make to make conversation with me after it was over. I come in the third time, and they're all there. Everybody's there. The producers there. Bacall is there because Bacall, of course, has to approve of, of my, you know, of her leading man. So she had been hired to play the Marco yeah. Channing role, and she had approval over. She you. had approval, yeah, uh-huh. over her leading man. So um, I came in the third time, and I, you know, did another yet another audition for them, and did a reading uh, with somebody, and it, uh, and they all it was some rather enthusiastic applause from. From the stalls, you can never see anybody out there. You know the lights in your eyes, and you can't. See, you just hear voices. So anyway, at the end of it, everybody comes up on the stage, and we meet and greet. And um, Joe Kipnis, who was the producer, he was there, and I met Betty Bacall, and I'm and um, Strauss and Adams and 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 uh, uh, Compton and Green. Uh, and Ron takes me by the arm. He pulls. He said, "Listen, I think this is a done deal." He said, "You know, they haven't. Nobody's said." Right, he, I, he said, I would, I would like to offer it to you right now. He said, but he said, I, I can't. He said, now tell me it again, what it is you're doing. And I said, oh, Ron, Ron, come with me. And we walked out the Alvin stage door and opened the door, and across the way, in the tear sheet windows, were three six-foot photographs of me as Henry <laughs> V. And I went, that's what I'm doing. He went, oh, my That's great. God, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> That's a great I story. Said, I clapped him on the back. I said, don't worry about it. I said, he said, oh, I said, this is ridiculous. I said, yeah, it's kind of funny. I, said, I couldn't resist. So <laughs> obviously Lauren Bacall did approve of you. Did you, have to do a, did you have to do a reading with her or anything first? No. no. She just said, he's the guy? Yep. Great. But what's it like to come out of that system and walk into a big Broadway musical? Well, it was kind of fun, but you know, because of my background, and I, I was pretty solid in in the stuff. They had they had not seen they had not seen anybody like me that had that that kind of, if it were the 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 as it were the the, the to be able to bring a classical background, if you will, to to modern stuff, and give it you know the gravitas that 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 it really makes you go, whoa, who is this guy, and. The 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 thing that that uh, uh, really got me going. Well, you'll love this story. We 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 did a gypsy run through. Finally, of uh, before we you know I'd never done a gypsy run through before. So here we went and we did it at the uh, at the Schubert Theater. You know, you've, have you ever been to one of those things where everybody in the business is there and the and the, all that's on the on the stage is a piano, mm-hmm. you know, and a couple of chairs. There's no set whatsoever, and we just do a run through for the gypsies in the business who are the the dancers and the singers that are you know are working on Broadway and who otherwise wouldn't be able to see a show because they're working because they're working and it also gives you a live audience to perform right. in front of it, but it's the first oh, live audience you it have. Li- and live is putting it live. mildly yeah, live run <laughs> <laughs> they were on fire these people now that was really that was really special um, cuz i you know it was my first one and um, i you know people poured up onto the stage after it was over and it was a lot of big buzz about the show and um, a man came up to me and shook my hand. He said, I think you're the best leading man I've ever seen. And I said, thank you very much. <laughs> and um, he said, really, I mean that. And I said, thank you, sir. And uh, uh, he walked away. And Ron Field came up to me and said, what did Hal say? And I said, <laughs> Hal, who? Hal who? And he said, come on. I said, no, I don't know who you mean. He said, Hal Prince. I said, I don't know Hal Prince. I'm sorry. 
Oh and he said, the guy who said, with the glasses on his head, like this. He said, he shook your hand. He was talking. You were talking. He said, oh, I said, oh, that's Hal Prince? And he said, yeah, that's Hal Prince. And I said, you really want to know what he said? <laughs> and he said, yeah, I do. I do. And I said, well, I'm, gonna ho- I'm not going to tell you yet. I will wait. I may have to use it. When I renegotiate the contract. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, as I recall, you had the first real song in the show. You came out and you sang a song called Think How It's Gonna Be. Think How It's Gonna Be. Yeah, as, as the character Bill Sampson. Now, what was the purpose of that song and how did it work to set up the show? I'm, I meant I'm leaving her. Um, I'm leaving her alone. Um, Margot Channing. Margot Channing, yeah. And uh, I'm a director and I'm going off to do, um, I think I was going off to do um, another movie or something. So, the you know, it's the first song in the show. It's the first ballad. And she's saying, don't go, don't go. And I say, hey, come on, I got to go. You know, I got work to do. Um, so you just kind of, you know, you're talking and all of a sudden you're singing. Um, and it's uh, it's pretty interesting. There was a song. Uh, this was a replacement song. Mm-hmm. Think how it's going to be. Um, when we were in when we were in Detroit, it was a song called um, It Was Always You. And uh, Charlie Strauss, I remember he said... Oh, we've got um, we've got Tony Bennett lined up to record this after we open, you know. So he said that, and it was a really nice song. Um, the first lyric was, "It was always you. No one else ever got to me like you do. Uh, strange, I always knew. Uh, I can't. I'm forgetting now. But um, it was a really nice song. But it was wasn't landing. It just didn't land." And I, they kind of were worried about why, and I think they th- saw, said it was because of the of the sense of the lyric. It was always you was kind of like uh, I'm going away, you know, and mm-hmm. it, it just I don't know somehow didn't land with the audience. Well, it wasn't the right show to open. Maybe song or a lo- song to open the show. Yeah. Anyway, so they changed it to uh, think how it's going to be. So this man you really didn't recognize came to you at a gypsy run-through and said you're a great leading man. And a couple of years later, uh, <laughs> he decided to uh, put you in one of his shows. How exactly did, did night music come to pass for you? It's interesting. It's a pretty interesting story. I was, uh, I was at the Guthrie doing um, the season there, uh, and the musical was sent to me. Without any music, it was just, a, it was just the... Um, uh, the book um, that Hugh Wheeler had written, and it read like almost like an ennui play. You know, I mean, it was really, really something. And at that point, that was the only, that was the only thing they had. They had no lyrics. Stephen hadn't written any lyrics yet, so it was an opportunity for me to go and um, sing for Sondheim and for Prince. They wanted me. the The role they they were wanting me to audition for was a role of Count Carl Magnus. And I read this the thing, and I at that point I had played that guy, you know, five ways to Tuesday, and uh, I didn't really want to play it. Uh, but I didn't obviously didn't want to. I, I thought you know I, I really should should go and sing for these people because I don't want to just say you know get out of here. Uh, I'm well, not going to come. After all, they were Hal Prince yes. and Stephen Sondheim. So, <laughs> so exactly. So. Um, I went and uh, sang for them, and um, Hal said to me after that, he said, have you read the new version of the script? And I said, no, I haven't. And he said, well, here, take a copy of it and read it overnight. And he said, I'll call you tomorrow. 
and I, I was on, you know, I'd just come up. Because we were in rep at the, at the Guthrie, I had a couple of, I had like four days off or something. So I engineered, I stopped on the, on the I had the, the Sunday off. I came up here on Sunday and saw them on Monday and went back for Wednesday, I think I had to go back. So I read it, I reread it, and I thought, and now there were some lyrics in it. And, um, you know, I mean, the lyrics, if you know this show at all, the lyrics are brilliant. I mean, mm-hmm. just brilliant. Well, they always are with Stephen, but... And it just seemed to me, um, I think the lyrics for now were in this script. And uh, I think the lyrics for um, Carl Magnus's uh, song in the first act. Can't think of what it is. Uh, anyway, um, I thought it was really good. So Hal said, uh, says to me, did you read it? When we talked the next day, he said, did you read it? I said, yes, sir, I did. And I said, I think it's really good. I said, the lyrics are incredible. I said, uh, I, I said, I imagine the music's even better. And he said, well, yes, it is. And I, he said, so what did you think of uh, the role of Frederick Egermont? And I said, oh, I said, it's, you know, it's a wonderful role. I said, but uh, um, he said, yeah, well, we would like you to play it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, just as simply, over the, this is over the phone. Wow. <laughs> and I said, what? So I go back. Anyway, I meet, I meet with him after, and he said, yes, we're offering you the role of Frederick. And I said, but it says that he's 50 years old in the script. And, he's, and I was only 32 or 3 or 4 or something at that point. And um, he said, it's all right. He said, we won't worry about that. You know. So I go back, and I go back to the Guthrie, and I tell Langham <clears throat> that this is um, the situation. And we're about to go into um, rehearsal for um, Oedipus, uh, yours truly playing the title role. And I said, you know, uh, it would mean that I would have – they would go into rehearsal in uh, 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 in November and, you know, and so on. And Michael said to me, well, but you can't do that. And I said, why? And he said – I said, no, but, I mean, this is an incredible opportunity. He said, yeah, but he said, but, you know, we've got you cast in this. He said, what it would mean is you would open the play and then leave. And he said, we can't do that. That's, you know, that's not what a repertory theater is about. And, uh, and of course, he was right. And, uh, I, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't that simple at the time. I, you know, I, there was a lot of Sturm and Drang went on with, with me and, uh, and uh, between me and my agent and, and me and my... And myself. Well, you had a real dilemma. It was Stephen Sondheim, Hal Prince offering you a role in what right. would become a major Broadway show, and you had to, to fight. Well, that. and I kind of knew it would too. I mean, uh-huh. you know, you knew just from reading it that it was going to be a hit, and and so I uh, called Harold in in Spain, in Mallorca, where he was on vacation. He has a home there. Uh, maybe he still does. Um, but anyway, he was there. And I got on the phone. I said, Mr. Prince, I'm sorry to call you and disturb you. I said, but I, I've been thinking about this, and I, I don't think that I can do it because of my commitment to the Guthrie Theater. And I said, this is something that um, I've anguished over for the last two or three weeks. And uh, I'm calling to say that I, I don't think I can accept the offer. I said, because it just conflicts too much. And he said to me, well, I have never heard an actor say that to me in my life. And I thought he was, you know, I thought he was going to tear me off, tear me a new asshole. And he said, I am 
so impressed with that. He said, that's an amazing thing for an actor to, to say to me. He said, I think I'm very, he said, I'm really proud of you for doing it. And I thought, is he blowing <laughs> smoke up my ass or what is going on here? And I thought, well, I said, well, thanks very much. I said, it was a not easy decision to come to. And he said, well, that's all right. He said, we'll, we'll figure something out down the line. And um, so it was a, you know, it was a dead issue. Three weeks later, we get a call from my agent says, are you sitting down? I said, yeah, what, what? He said, well, guess what? They've postponed the start of rehearsals for A Little Night Music. They're now going to do them in December, rehearse in December. And uh, he's offering it to you again. And I went, my God. He said, my agent said, Clifford Stevens said, I've never heard of this happening in my life. He said, and, you know. And I said, no, I guess that's pretty rare. So anyway, we, um, uh, I went into to, uh, Don Schoenbaum, who was the managing director of the Guthrie, and Michael Langham, and we sat down. I said, look, guys, if these guys are willing to do this, we've got to be f- try and figure out some way to do this. And at that point, I was only doing um, Oedipus. And it was – it came in, in in late October or November, so it had to be played at least four times a week in the repertory, you know, through through December. Um, and Schoenbaum and I sat down and we worked out for, you know, trying to do these things four times a week. And we came up with this, what seemed to me a ridiculous schedule. And I said, well, you know. He'll never agree to this. And God damn it if he didn't. He said, yeah, I can live with that. So what was the schedule? The schedule was I would play it once at the beginning of the week, either a Tuesday or a Wednesday. I think our Monday was our day off at, in the Guthrie. And so Monday would be our day off, would have to be the day off for the musical too, or my day off anyway, and play it two or three times on the weekend. So I would have, but there would be the, you know, the middle of the week would be wide open. But I was in Minneapolis and New York, you know, so I began, which was, I still think, one of the great commutes of all time, where I would finish working sun- Sunday afternoon, get on a plane, fly to New York, get up, go to rehearsal Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I think, and then get work till 2 o'clock on Thursday afternoon, go to the airport, Get on a plane. I gained an hour going back, so I would get <laughs> off the plane in Minneapolis <laughs> and go directly to the theater. Get into the full. I had full body makeup because <laughs> my first appearance was virtually in a g-string. Um, get into full body makeup. Go on and do um, Oedipus. Then stay over and do it twice on Saturday or something, or, fr- or do it again Friday night and once on Saturday, and then complete. You know, do that commute again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm damned if uh, if it didn't work out. Well, I've heard of people being in two shows on Broadway simultaneously, running between theaters. <laughs> You're running between cities in <laughs> December when he get kind of snowy. Yeah, you get and we never it in. never happened. It never Honestly, snowed. I, never, <laughs> never once did we get nailed. You know, in Minneapolis. You would think. And this place, or New York, or yeah. New York. We notice in your credits that. There is one Broadway show directed by Len Carey. Mm-hmm. How did you come to directing? Well, it's something that I 
that I always thought I would like to do and, and still do, and, and I hope I will do more of uh, in the next uh, couple, you know, in the next 20 years or so. But uh, it was, um, and it was also, of course, you could see having done some Broadway shows, that's, that's where, you know, a lot of money could be made. If you had a hit, you know, uh, you're getting a, a royalty every week, et cetera, et cetera. It turned out, of course, that it Don't did. Call Back was not, was not a hit. was seeing you through your, through your <laughs> senior years. No. Um, so, um, so it happened uh, that uh, I had done, while I was doing night music, I did uh, an off, I directed an off-Broadway production of, of Petrified Forest at uh, St. Clemens uh, Church. Um, uh, with Brooke Adams and, and Daniel Davis. And it was something that... Uh, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed doing it. Um, uh, it was a... Uh, it, I, I just felt that if I was able to to understand what the process was for actors, because a lot of directors that I had worked with had never acted, and it didn't seem to me that they understood what the process was. And... and they didn't seem to have, in my estimation, the patience that was required um, for, you know, to let an actor kind of explore something and then come up with uh, um, with a, a full-blown character. Um, so I decided that I wanted to just see what it, what it entailed, just how much more work there was to directing a play than it was to, to playing a play. And um, so that was really the experiment that was going on at that point, and uh, it wasn't terribly uh, successful, but it was a it was an interesting uh, experience, just the same. And well, then I went on to you know do some in in at the Guthrie, and uh, and I ran on. I went from there. I went and became the artistic director at the Mantova Theater Center for a year. Mm-hmm. So. Well, let's flash forward, given the time that's left to us today, and ask you about when Sweeney Todd came into your life. And how that well, happened. yeah, that that was when I went to uh, I'd taken a job as artistic director of the Manitoba Theater Center, which started where I started. Ed Edward Gilbert, who was the departing um, artistic director, invited me to come, and uh, I thought that might be interesting too, just to see what what that entailed. But I, I think it was a little early for me to be doing that kind of thing because the you know there's a lot of uh, of managerial stuff. Uh, involved in that in that job that I really wasn't qualified um, to do and I had to be kind of led by the hand and it was uh, uh, it was I really wasn't qualified but at any rate uh, I had in in my contract that I could get out of it if I had an I had a, an opportunity to do a Broadway show that was my agent said you should that that could be a you know a, a deal breaker um, or at least get me out of my contract and um, so while we were there, I took advantage of, of my uh, uh, friendship with Harold Prince. We were going to do company. and uh, You were going to do it at, at Manitoba. At the Manitoba Theater Center. And um, I uh, called him and said, uh, would you mind sending me your stage manager's copy of, of the, uh, of, you know, from the original? And he said, no, no, not at all, not at all. He said... Uh, oh, and by the way, uh, Stephen's written a musical for you. Um, <laughs> and I said, "Oh, really?" He oh, said, by the way. Yeah, oh, by the way. But see, is, Stephen hadn't bothered telling you he no, was writing this musical no. for you. <laughs> and I think that that was Hal's phrase. I don't think it was Stephen's phrase. I think it was, uh, uh, 
maybe he did maybe Stephen didn't even know it at that point, but it's Hal Hal had already just cast me and he said, So I'm gonna send it along too, just you know, there's a, a rough draft of uh, of the story and anyway, so you can get an idea what the what it's about. And I said, Okay. And um so I get the stuff and I I'm terribly curious naturally and I start to read it as soon as I get it. And I thought, these guys have lost their minds. I mean, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, no. anyway, there's a lot of stuff, other stuff to do. And I was thinking I was directing a play at that. So I didn't. On the weekend, I reread it. And I thought, well, you know, it's pretty interesting. Um, I mean, I, I, I suppose if it's really romantic music, uh, maybe they can, you know, maybe that's how he'll approach us. But, I mean, it's such a bizarre. Was there any music included no, in what you read? No, it was just the script nothing, for the dialogue. Nothing at all. Uh, just, uh, in fact, I'm not even sure Hughes' book was there yet. It was, they gave, I think he put in a, you know, the penny dreadful that it was Well, the Christopher Bond that yeah, they the Christopher adapted Bond thing. Yeah. At the end of that year, they offered, they were going to do it. And, and so I, I was able to get out of my contract at the theater center and, um, and come back to New York. Uh, as it turned out, of course, that was the summer of uh, of seventy six and they were making the film of night music and um so nothing uh, and they were meant to go into rehearsal in December or some yeah i think sub- september or october i can 't remember it doesn 't matter i didn't i I said to the people at the Manitoba theater center look i don 't want to choose a season and then not be a part of it, so why don 't we get somebody in here?" And let them choose the season so that they, you know, it's they have some control and, and, and they're going to have some input as to what people are going to see. I don't think it's right that I should do it. So that's what we did. And so I was gone, as it were, by the time the summer came at the end of the, of the, of the first year and came back home and um, uh, got the phone call in the middle of the night from Hal in London saying, uh, can you come over here and, and be in the film of night music? Because Peter Finch, I think, got cold feet. And uh, so we have to, you know. So I said, well, sure, I guess. You know, got on a plane, went to London, and sang with Elizabeth Taylor. Hmm. And uh, uh, she, of course, had to approve of me. And then that happened. So now this is a, a long way about getting to you, to your point about Sweeney. So obviously... The summer was spent doing that, and, ha- and Stephen wasn't writing any music for any other musical. He was dealing with, you know, the the film adaptation. And um, along came December, along came the end of the year, and they said, well, we've got to put it off, you know, for another year. So that's why it didn't get done then. Uh, but I was, you know, then I was kind of guilty saying, well, I could have, if I'd known that, I could have stayed in Winnipeg and done, you know, that stuff. And, and But those things, uh, you never know though, about those things. So. So you did get cast as Sweeney Todd. Angela Lansbury did get cast as Mrs. Lovett right. in Sweeney. Did she have approval over you? Did you have approval over her? Was it just a no, mutual thing? No, I think thing? it was a mutual <laughs> Just a mutual? Yeah. yeah. I think that was... Hal had uh, had decided I was going to play that from the get-go, and I think he decided she was going to play it from the uh-huh. get-go. Uh-huh. So how did you then see the character of Sweeney? You, had, you had obviously read it as being developed. How did you interpret Sweeney as what it became? And as I obviously won you the Tony Award. Well... Uh, it, it's pretty much there. I mean, it, it wasn't very difficult to get behind a guy who had been in the f- wronged in the first place, you know. So, um, uh, I mean, what he became is a, is 
another question, but uh, he was kind of like an anti-hero, if you will, when he comes back, and he's coming back, and and you know he's been he's been wronged very badly, and uh, he seeking revenge, mm-hmm. and uh, once he gets the taste of it, he uh, he kind of likes it. Can you remember? what that very first preview performance of that show was like. Because as a topic, people coming into that, unawares, now anyone who knows musical theater understands what they get with Sweeney Todd. What was that first public performance like? Well, it was kind of weird because we were... We didn't go out of town. You know, it's the first time, I think, that a show didn't go out of town. You couldn't move that set anywhere. And uh, um, so the first preview... We had, as we were putting the, as we were doing the the uh, uh, tech rehearsals, the pie shop wasn't cooperating, and it would not go on off. Sometimes it would lock in position; they couldn't get it off the the stage or get it back on in time. And as it as we were getting closer and closer to the first preview, we had not teched the entire show, and. Uh, we didn't. We had not teched the finale of the show on the first preview, and I remember saying to Hal, "I said, how does this fucking thing end?" We hadn't done it in about four days, and he said, "What?" I said, "What do I do at the end? I forget." <laughs> and he said, "You go out the back door and you slam." And I said, "Oh, right, right, okay." So we did it, and and of course, in the first preview, it you know we were having the troubles with still having troubles with the with. This getting the set the the pie shop on and off, um, and I think it, you know, we had to stop it two or three times, technically, um, so the impetus of the show got stopped, you know, <clears throat> and, and it would come to a screeching halt. And um, at any rate, to get to to the answer of your question, that at the end of it, um, it I think ran about twenty minutes longer than it ever. On that first preview, it was probably twenty minutes longer than it than it actually ran um, when we finally finished it. And uh, but I came backstage. I remember coming backstage, and standing outside my dressing room's door was Stephen Sondheim, and he looked at me and he said, "They understood it. They fucking understood it." And he <laughs> grabbed me in an embrace and hugged me and said, "I mean," he said, "Thanks, thanks, thanks." And he was running around. He was just he was. Deliriously happy, and uh, you know, then then we sat down and said, "Okay, now we obviously what do we got to do? First of all, we got to get the set right." And uh, uh, so they had to rebuild the the, the pie sh- the pie set and um, the pie shop set. Um, and then we had to, you know, as as we went into previews, we had to we learned that we had to trim it down a bit, so we had to take out some material. But it was uh, it was an extraordinary piece of writing. It's an extraordinary. Uh, work. And it just, I think, absolutely, totally gobsmacked most of the audience. They didn't know what the hell they were seeing, but they knew it was good. They just knew it was good. Um, and um, and we were, all, we were all pretty potent at that point. We knew we had something by the tail. Uh, we knew it was great. Whether it was going to last, whether they were going to know it or not, you know, it was, remained to be seen. But as it turned out, um, everybody got it. Well, you used the word extraordinary. 
about the the work, so too was your performance. You did win the Tony for creating the role of Sweeney Todd, and it's a nice thing to have in a resume that you created with the original Sweeney Todd on Broadway. Yeah, sure is. And just looking at the clock, we've just about run out of time here. Oh, have we? There's another 25 years to cover. That'll be part two on a future (laughs) date, I would hope. Well. So on that note, Len Carrier, thanks so much for being with us today on Downstage Center. It's my great pleasure, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Len. For the American Theater Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theater Wing is available online, on demand, for free, from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John Von Susten for Downstage Center. That's a wrap, and thank you.